Welcome to Profiling Criminal Minds. I'm Dan. And I'm Dr. Redmond. And, oh my God. Yeah, well, we talked this episode up quite a bit last time, and part of me was like, is it, is it as good as I remember it? Oh. Yeah, yeah, it was. No hesitation there. It was absolutely as good as I remember it. And that's not like a positive thing. It's one of the most bleak hours of television you're going to find yourself watching. But damn, if it's not incredible. Well, sorry, yeah, but three hours of television. Yes. (laughs) Three episodes of television, 50 minutes each. So we're looking at uh, 150, two and a half hours of TV. It's also clearer about its message than the white supremacy one was in wise guy yeah it is very clear right what it is doing and how this particular phenomena Mm -hmm. succeeds and grabs hold yeah and you know it's you know the grievances are there the grievances are not unfounded the grievances are unmet mm-hmm. and this is where you end up and i mean it was it's prescient oh my god is it ever just as wise guy was yeah they're both talking about the future like yep. that wise guy thing was quite explicitly about donald trump you know years before that you know white grievance is a thing to be made money off of yeah Right. And I'll burn down the whole country if I can make a buck. Uh, And this one is about how, you know, this this mindset creeps in when you abandon the working class. They look for someone to blame when they're not getting any help. But there is something key that I, of course, didn't understand the first time I watched this because I'm not British and I don't know the, you know, history of their tragedies. So this time I looked it up. And so we're going to start this off with an, uh, the episode off with a bit of a history lesson of uh, the Hillsboro disaster, which is important because it's what the entire episode is kicked off by, and it's at the heart of the villain's motivation. And again, yeah, and everybody in England would have known. Oh no, exactly. Like this is it's not their nine eleven. I'm not crazy, no. but at the same time, it's something that it, this is just five years after it happened, and everybody would have known about this right away. Like, so everyone would have, this would have hit so much harder for British people. So basically, uh, to give you the quick rundown of what happened. So in something that's going to sound insane to most people, it sounded insane to me, in British soccer stadiums, you literally, there was seating on the benches and you used to be able to just buy a ticket to stand next to the field and watch the game. Yeah. And just just stand at the side of the field and watch the game. And what happened was, because of hooliganism, you know, people getting drunk and rowdy or whatever, uh, they couldn't trust people not to run out on the field or throw stuff at the players or things like that. So they created what are called pens, which were literally caged in areas next to the field for the fans to stand on either side of the field. Or maybe just one side of the field in this one. But theoretically, it could have been both if there were stands on both sides. Not every place has stands on both sides. But the important part is, this day, it was a Liverpool... I don't remember who they were up against. Manchester? Anyway, it doesn't really matter who they were up against. But they are Liverpool supporters in the episode. So it's a Liverpool game. 
uh, everybody had gone. And what was supposed to happen was that the cops were supposed to carefully judge how many people were going into each pen. Right. And literally there were supposed to be cops sending people down the passageway into the pens and cops in the passageway to thing, get things moving along and a cop in the pen entrance to the pen to when it looked like it was getting full, blow the whistle and say, stop feeding in more people. And for whatever reason, the only cop there was the one sending people into the pen. And more and more people got sent in and people started to panic and people started to push. And as it says, a hundred people got crushed to death and another 200 people were injured. Like it was, it was a nightmare. It was just this horrific thing that no one could have like that, that nothing like it had ever happened before. And the problem is it was 100%. What Robert Carlyle says in this episode is true and it's what, you know, all of the committees that investigated showed. It was 100% the police's fault. But the problem is, the police knew it was their fault the day of, and instead of taking responsibility, they went to the papers and said it was drunk hooligans starting a riot that caused the crush, and that's what got everybody killed. And they tried to blame it on the fans. And they said the fans were looting dead bodies and, yes, pissing on corpses. Yeah, the cops said all of that, and just as depicted in the episode, the sun printed it. So, like, every... This thing is 100% accurate in what it's talking about. Both the event that happened and the way the event was covered in the media and the reaction of the authorities that just made everything worse. So, it's like, this this episode is just dead on. So, yeah, and to give them further the history lesson... Yeah. Okay, um, pens three and four had the coroner's report was released, called it accidental. Mm -hmm. And then they had a 2009 independent panel uh, that announced the police had engaged in a far reaching cover up, faulting fans, falsifying reports in an effort to hide their own mistakes. Yep. No evidence that alcohol or unruly behavior had played a role. It is believed that as many as 41 deaths would have been averted by better rescue efforts. Mm. And in 2012, the coroner's finding that the deaths were accidental was overturned. And then they had another inquest in 2014. And then um, Duckenfield testified that he had lied about fans opening gate C. Yeah, that, um, that was the so, crazy yes. part. They they tried to claim the fans broke in and caused the crush rather than being waved in, which is what yeah. they were. Like, they try. oh, God, these cops. And the only person to be convicted was the uh, stadium safety officer. Yeah. The 96, there were 96. It's, it's funny, eh? This article says 97. This is the Britannica. Okay. 96 and 97. Okay. Um, Duck and Field faced 95 charges of manslaughter yeah. um, because of legal issues. He could not be prosecuted for the victim who died in 1993. Oh, because so, died from their injuries later on. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, the jury was unable to reach a verdict. The second trial, he was found not guilty. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's still, I mean, it's still. And it. the thing is, is that it took place in Sheffield. Oh, okay. Okay. 
And it was between Liverpool and Nottingham Forest. Oh, Nottingham they, Forest. There you go. They were doing it in Sheffield because it was a neutral venue. <laughs> yeah. So their fans, uh, so no team would have like the home fans there. Yeah. So that was it. Yes. And that's always. No, yeah. I'm not going to. I get the Britannica free with at the university. Oh, nice. So yeah, it's um, so this episode is one hundred percent based on a true event that actually happened. Obviously, the rest of it is fake. The rest of it is just a TV show. But like the the inciting incident, this would have hit really hard for the people watching it the first time in a way that didn't for us watching it in Canada. Mm -hmm. And further to that, this just continues the the complete um I, I it is a complete and total indictment of police work in britain oh god yeah i mean this show police. is brutal at what it thinks of the police yeah i mean it, i do not know what this writer's experience was mm-hmm. you know but, but he, he hates cops yeah like to you can say that he thinks they are necessary in some limited context, but oh my God, does he hate cops? Yeah, and Which, I mean, yeah, and this we'll get one, into. Yeah, we're going to get into this as because every one of those cops that we have oh met, my God. I mean, if you think, I mean, no wonder this show didn't last more than three. <laughs> I know, right? It's because, got three years in and out. You know, like this, these three episodes. Yeah. Cracker isn't seen in a good light. Nope. His wife isn't seen in a good light. Oh. The police, every single one of them, even if they've got these little lives, it is just, it, 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 it's a disaster. Yeah. And ultimately, and the the thing is, you can't even feel sorry for our villain. Nope. That's the big departure this time. One piece of final revenge. Yeah, because he gets... Oh. Anyway, all right, so let's get into it. Uh, it opens with Robert Carlyle's father's funeral. If you're wondering what the uh, inciting incident, the stressor that's going to tip him off, it's his father dying and him... Uh, not having a life anymore, basically, uh-huh. because his whole life was taking care of his cancer-stricken father. Yeah. Oh. In his right. relationship with his wife, mm-hmm. who they are not divorced. No, they're not divorced. They're, they're just split separated. up. Yeah, his wife, and I mean, he gets along with his daughter. Yeah. And, and then he goes home. Yeah, and then he goes home. Ooh, and everything is just empty. And we intercut between him and Fitz, and we see Fitz at the, uh, he calls his wife from the casino, and she tells him just not to come out too late, stay out too late. And we see him gambling and playing roulette and putting a hundred pounds on, uh, a hundred pounds on 19 for whatever reason, and miraculously it hits, and he wins, in case you don't know, 3,500 pounds. That is a a not insignificant amount of money. And so he comes home 
and he's you know high on this and he uh, and he brings it to his wife to show off and she's still like why won't you have sex with me <laughs> he throws the money throws the, the money it's like look at least i can do this i can provide for you uh, the alcohol alcoholism the <laughs> Oh my God. Now I'm doing gambling. it. Uh, the gambling isn't so bad if I can do this for you. It's like, yeah, but you're not my husband. And so he winds up, you know, sleeping in a guest room. Uh, and of course we actually have a running gag in this episode that there are incompetent uh, workmen trying to fix their house and doing a yeah. God awful job of it. Just the bathroom. Just the bathroom. That's all they're supposed to be fixing is the upstairs bathroom. And they, like, can't figure out where the pipes go. It's just a complete disaster. And where the problems are, because they put it together and it doesn't work properly. It's yeah. Like... Oh, and um, he whistles. I don't remember what it was. Uh, anyway, Western theme. And the reference there is supposed to be that uh, you call an incompetent, uh, you know, workman and, like, these guys who are fly-by-night cowboys in the UK. And that's why he's joking about that. And they're uh, saying that they're not cowboys. So it's just a minor little cultural thing that we don't have over here. Not funny. I can't remember what that song was too. Yeah. But it was very familiar. I knew all the words to it. Yeah. I'm just trying to remember what it was, uh, but it's not like don't fence me in or something iconic. All right. Uh, so meanwhile, then we see uh, Robert Carlyle at work and Oh, so, and it's, and again, what a weird inciting incident, right? Oh. Because a guy is doing the crossword. Yeah. And they know the answer is Rottweiler. And a guy spells it out for him. And Robert Carlyle's like, no, you're wrong. It's two T's and one L, not one T and two L's. And of course, Robert Carlyle's right. Yeah. He is. But the guy writes down what the manager says and Robert Carlyle's pissed because he's like, what, because I didn't go to college, you're not going to believe that I know how to spell the word Rottweiler. And the guy says it doesn't matter. And, and that might sound weird to you or I, but they do British style crosswords. Our crosswords are a full grid where everything interlinks, but British style crosswords are these things where there's like five down and they're five and like five down and five across or 10 down and 10 across. And they're like arranged in a pattern. So it only actually matters. Each line only ex intersects with any other line a maximum of three times. So you could actually get the T's and the L's wrong and it's not going to hurt your ability to solve the rest of the puzzle the way it would for us. So yeah, yeah, so the guy is able to say, well, it doesn't matter who's right, but obviously he's very pissed about this. Yeah. <sighs> and then uh, Fitz, I mean, so he gives his wife the 3,500 pounds he got, which is like five grand, right? Yeah. And he well, gives it to her. Was worth then. Who knows, right? Yeah, might've been closer to seven, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so he gives her the money. And he's like, see, I've proven it, and, I, and I've given you the money. And then next day, we see him frantically arriving at her work. She works at a charity. That's going to be important later. And he's obviously gone looking for the money and been able to unable to find it. And so she knows exactly why he's there. Yep. Oh. And so he essentially, he, she makes him beg in public for the mm -hmm. money. And he does, because as he says to the crowd, you know, it's like, 
he's fine being a man. You know, this is what emasculation looks like. Coming to beg your wife for money, but he's happy to do it because he's a degenerate gambler. And then he goes and he bets the $3,000 on a horse race. And he has this wonderful interaction with the woman at the off-track, bet off-track betting uh, kiosk. And it's like essentially demanding that she be impressed with him. Because he's spending so much Because he's betting 3,000 pounds on a single horse in a single race. And it's like, why aren't... And he doesn't understand why she's not impressed. It's like, you think you're unique, Fitz? You think there's something special about the way you're a degenerate gambler? Well, no, he no, he does think he's an exception. Yeah, he really does. He thinks he's he different believe, than all these guys. He yeah. doesn't believe that he's gambling because he's addicted. He doesn't believe that he's gambling because, because that's a way to solve problems for him. <laughs> yep. He doesn't believe that he's gambling because he he needs that <clears throat> adrenaline rush that all mm -hmm. addicts whatever rush it is yeah you know he no he does not see himself but her reaction lets us know all her well her complete lack of a reaction lets us know all we need to know which is there's nothing special about Fitz he's no different than any of the other guys yep. who come in and do this and and then his horse, he doesn't just lose the race. Coming out of the gate, the jockey of his horse falls off the horse. He gets hung up coming out of the gate. And he falls off his horse before it's gone 10 feet. So he doesn't just lose the three grand. He loses it in the most humiliating way imaginable. It's, uh, yes. Mm, damn Fitz uh, he's, I mean it's as I said and it's not ever played that you should feel sympathy for him because even when he does this with his wife yeah prior when she gives him the money right she does give him the money but yeah. he has you know and somehow now he comes up with this smart aleck re remark right yeah. but essentially she's beginning to at least deal with him the way she should have, which is ignore it now, make a decision, but we'll yeah. get to that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's nothing she can do about it. And no. finally she comes to accept that. And we'll yeah. get to that. Uh, we'll get to that part a little later on. Uh, but yes, we have this wonderful, sorry, I'm just thinking about, when we get a big confrontation between them. Uh, and again, what a mess this character is. Yeah, truly. Uh, what an absolute mess this character is. So we finally get to the actual crime, uh, which is on his way home, Robert Carlyle, Albie, Albie Jr., which is going to be important later, but Albie, uh, goes into his local market, his local like news agent, to get a copy of the Guardian and a box of tea bags, and that costs two pounds four pence, and he only has two pounds on him. And he says to the importantly Pakistani, uh, right, owner. owner, right, that 
I've here's two pounds. Let me bring you the four pence on the way back. I'm going to be back in a couple hours, you know, on my way to my night shift. I will bring you the four pence then. And the guy refuses to let him. He just will not give him the four pence. Like, will not float him the four pence under any circumstances. And it's the last straw. And he's like, what you think because I'm a, I am have a northern accent that I'm some kind of a racist scumbag? And he's just so offended and the guy just doesn't give him the time of day. Makes him leave. And... This is this is what makes him do it. He goes home and he shaves off his head and he puts on a camo jacket and he gets his dad's old bayonet from out of the drawer. And he goes back and they have a horrifying confrontation that's hard to watch. Yeah. And must have been unbelievably difficult to write. I can't imagine what that must have been like. Where he's essentially saying, uh, I, I mean, of course the guy doesn't recognize him because he's back now, like, four, like no. hours later with a shaved head in a camo jacket. Why would you recognize him? But he's like, this is what you believe I am. So, okay. Like, you think we're all racists? You think we're all scumbags? Great. That's what I'm going to be then. Yeah. And he stabs the guy to death and throws the four pence on his body. <sighs> Oof. It ends up on the floor behind the yeah. counter. Oh yeah. no, you're right. He threw it on the ground on the counter first. No, you're he right. I thought he threw it on the, the body, counter. but he threw it first. You're right. I have it backwards. The two pounds and the and the. Oh, he uh, yeah, the two pounds yeah. and four pence. Yeah, and they ended up sprinkled down. Oh my god. And it 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 is Oof. as far as the writing is. Uh, yes, it is so. Again, what you have to say when you're watching Cracker is that there doesn't seem to be a false word written. And and it is tough. It is tough. And it's going to be these whole three episodes are just tough to listen to as these people are talking, the different people. Fitz, you're kind of used to Fitz pulling some of this stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. But the other characters, too, you know, what they're saying. Yep. Oh, and the cops. (sighs) All right. So now they've got a dead body, right, which is key. Uh And, of course, uh, Fitz would very much like to work on it. But he's not allowed to work on it because we see him with Penhaligon, who is like, hey, you owe me 900 pounds. (laughs) You know. For that ticket I bought for you and the vacation we were supposed to go on. So uh, I'll understand if you want to give me cash so your wife doesn't find out. Yep. And Jesus. Slams oh, the- my. Slams the door in his face and he's not going to be able to do it. Uh, like he can't he can't even apologize. And they're not going to the cops aren't going to work with Fitz because a. She's pissed at him for obvious reasons. And B, um, why can I never say Christopher? Uh, why can I never remember Christopher Eccleston's character's name? Because it's so elaborate. Well, we can't. Yeah, and Christopher Eccleston's character uh, isn't going to work with him because on some level he knows. And again, and again, it's picking up exactly where 
Yeah. Nobody gets less left off the hook from last season. She's still pissed at him because of the vacation. And he is, you know, Heckleston is obviously haunted by the fact that he believes Fitz when Fitz said that Cassidy was innocent. Yes. You know, and that's kind of horrifying, really. So he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to have Fitz around. Yeah. He doesn't want to be reminded of this. Yes. And so we get a great moment where he calls Penhalgan to beg to be let on the case and says, because he finds out, you know, enough about the case to be like mm-hmm. that the guy was stabbed once and there wasn't any robbery and they're saying it's not, and the police, you see the police scrambling to say, ju- we just have to publicly say that we don't think this is a racial thing. Like, under no circumstances, this isn't racial, this isn't racial. That's all they keep saying over and over again, because we can't have a riot. Like, we can't have a riot, so we just have to, we have to solve the case, and we have to make sure it's not racial, but they do go in and, you know, bust heads at the local, um, at the local skinhead club and demand to know who did it. And Fitz goes to talk to the local, goes to see what's going on with the local skinheads, too, and just by the way they're talking about it, he's A, 100% sure this wasn't a skinhead or the skinheads would be, yeah. you know, bragging. That's he's like, right. Okay. So, because they don't know I'm a cop uh, and he can't stop from being a dick to the skinheads. And so he gets stomped. Ah, here. And he says to them, look, you need me on this. He says to Penalgan, you need me on this case. And you're going to get uh, some tosser to come and work this case and here and the way you're going to know he's a tosser is he's going to tell you it's an uneducated white man who's a football supporter and uh probably on the dole on benefits yeah on the dole on benefits right <laughs> uh right he's on benefits so he's not going to be uh what do you call all right and they're like when he tells you that you'll know he's an idiot and then we get a great scene. We get two great scenes. One, where we see the ME again looking at the body and explaining to them how he was killed and how it was just a single thrust and all of this. And he's like, where's Fitz? Because he doesn't know about any of this stuff. He has no idea why Fitz isn't there working a case like this. Which yeah. I thought was pretty nice. I thought that yeah, was a nice right? touch. Yeah, this is this is exactly his speed, right? Neither Penalligan and or or Eccleston. Eccleston bought. You know, he's going to tell him. Yeah, Yeah, they don't want him there. They don't. Yeah, but they're not going to say. So they do get another therapist in to talk about it. To do the profile. To do the profile, and the profile is exactly what Fitz said it would be. And the guy goes on TV and talks about him as being this ignorant, right? As being this. Yes. But you've missed actually. Oh, go. The news. You missed the news. Yes, the newspaper. Yes, I'm sorry. Um, Newspaper prints about how it's probably racial and blah, blah, blah. About how it was a, you know, know, an ignorant white supremacist who did it. Yeah. And, and of course, that means so Eccleston goes to see the reporter who's a woman. Mm -hmm. And the woman, women says, well, you know, she's can't, she can't compromise her leads, her sources her sources and he said was it a cop because that's the only person it could have been mm-hmm. was it a cop? well yeah but i'm not going to tell you who yeah. and then you have that whole scene with eccleston screaming at beard i know with the mustache because well yeah he's the logical back one. yeah back with the mustache back and and then yeah back 
he says, okay, you didn't do it. And then he calls the other guy in. The other, the other guy cop who was there is like, I'm sorry. And the guy apologizes right away yeah, to his credit. And he's like, weirdly forthright with the fact that I just, she made me feel like I was important for knowing yeah. things. And I'm sorry. And it's not going to happen again. You're like, okay, the guy did the right thing. Yes. And Eccleston lets him go. Isn't going to punish him at this point. Never do this again. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, again, probably the right thing to do as a manager. Yes, You're right to be remember, pissed, but, you know, this guy can learn. Okay. And and um, so our our villain here, mm-hmm. Robbie, uh, so. Robert uh, Carlyle. Uh, Robert Carlyle uh, sees, does see that newspaper and is just screaming angry about it. Yep. Because that's not why he's he did it. Yeah. And he is not one of those. Well, and we already know he's not one of those. Yeah, because we've you know, seen every step of his journey to turning himself into a skinhead. Yeah, and he's not really, quote, a skinhead as such. And he doesn't see himself that no. way. He doesn't have any ideological... That, I yeah. mean, that's what makes this episode, this these three episodes, so, oh, so hard to deal with, is yeah. that he's not part of this he hasn't been dragged into this no this is his life has brought him here yeah he chooses and this because of all of the crushing horrors of his life he couldn't care less about the ideology know, of you know ukip and the neo-nazis yeah he couldn't care less about any of that yep um so it's so he's really angry at being portrayed the way he is in the newspaper. Yeah, no, it's important because you're right. That is different. that is crucial to what happens later. You're absolutely right to bring it up. You've got one inciting in you you've got the thing that set everything in motion, his father's death. Yeah. Then you have the first inciting incident with the four pennies. Yeah. And then you have oh well, no, the one with at work. Yeah, then and then the four pennies. Four and now pennies. he has Super. been described in the same way that the uh i mean he did do this murder but yes. at the same time uh the fact the way the newspapers blamed everything on the fans at hillsborough has just the same kind of thing has happened to him because he feels he's being completely misrepresented by the press and he's unbelievably pissed off about it yeah because at this point we don't know that hillsborough is the driving no 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 but that's just i'm filling in some yeah, stuff so people have context the history lesson at the beginning rather than in the middle <laughs> exactly well i didn't want to stop the show dead yeah uh but you're right maybe it would have been better to put it there uh oh, but no. the important part is he then we he sees the therapist talking about him on tv and again he does not like being misrepresented and thought of as a you know a scumbag who has no chances in life and just lashes out because and he's an angry on, white guy. And on the dole. And on the dole, Never especially. Oh no, Good. especially. Cool. And it's funny that Fitz had already observed that the reason that's wrong is like, uh, this guy was killed at 7.30 in the morning. What yeah. kind of scumbag layabout, you know, unemployed guy on benefits... Door is getting up at 7.30 in the morning to go to a news agent's. And That's to buy insane. some tea. Yeah, yeah, and buy some tea, uh, which is very nice. So he goes. Says, he's, he was either going to work or coming home from work. Yeah. Had to be yeah. one of the two. Yeah, Turned exactly. Out, 
going home for work. Yeah, he was on the way home from work. Uh, Because he's working the night shifts, which he did be so he could be there during the day for his father to take care of his father's stuff. And in fact, his wife talks about how he doesn't have to do that anymore. But, you know, he never has a chance, like, uh, to, you know, consider that based on the events of the story. Yeah. All right. So we get uh, so he goes and this is a nice surprise. He goes and he announces himself to the uh, right to the, the therapist. And the therapist who happens to be listening to some classical music, which he's able to identify, and he's pissed and he confronts the psychologist, the profiler, with the fact that you really didn't know anything about me, did you? And the guy, before he can do anything, he stabs the guy to death. Oof. Well, now, does he stab the guy to death after he confronts the woman? No, no, that's before. So he stabs this guy because he says something. Because then he goes, uh, yeah. He wants to kill somebody, he says, but you'll do in the meantime. Yeah, he says, I'm going to kill a Sun reporter, but you'll do for now. That's what he says to him. That's what he says to him. Yeah, Yeah, I'm going to kill a Sun reporter, but you'll do for now. Because she, uh, it's it's in the Sun that she wrote this about him. Just yes, and it was on the front page. Yeah, it was on the front page, just like the Hillsborough stuff. Yeah, it's it's all tied in. All right. So uh, now they kind of have to get Fitz, but Fitz worms his way in in a beautiful way, which is the new cop, Uh, the new cop whose name eludes me because he hasn't had a lot to do yet on the show. And this is his only main thing he gets to do. Uh, So he goes uh, to the bar where the cop is and just starts opining about the case. And he's like, the funniest thing, why on earth would someone like be, why on earth would a guy on benefits be at 730 in the morning? The cop's like, hey, yeah, that's a good point. And then, of course, the cop repeats that when they have their meeting about the case. And Ben Halligan immediately identifies this as being Fitz. And he's like, yeah. who's Fitz? <laughs> because he doesn't know. <laughs> it's a very funny scene. Is this this is where Eccleston then sends Penhaligon to go get Fitz? Yeah, because as he says to Penhaligon, if I ask, he won't come. Yes, and then Penhaligon doesn't want to do it, of course, so she has to explain the whole business about the vacation to Eccleston. Yep. Yeah, Ugh. and then as she's going out to get him, um, he's walking in. Yep, perfect timing. Yeah, but I mean, we get. Like the in the insight we get into his relationship with his wife is so fascinating because we have this scene where he's like, I, I'm like, I'm getting worse with the gambling because I don't feel useful anymore. And it's like, I was so useful when I was working with the cops. And it's like, I understood what I was for and all of that. And she listens to this quite patiently. And he's like, and she's like, you don't even realize that you just said that you found our entire life together, you know, boring to the point where it's destroying you. Yeah. And (laughs) I'm doing your gambling. Yeah. I'm not enough. Exactly. And I'm like, damn, but yeah, that is what he's doing. That is exactly what he's doing. He is blaming her for his, you know, boredom and his disinterest in life and his need to gamble. I'm like, 
When I'm working with this life and death stuff, I don't have to gamble. Yeah, because it's another addiction. <laughs> the addiction is what you should be working on. Yeah. Oh my God. But yes, he does come in and he does start working the case, which is exactly what we wanted this whole time. Right? And we get, oh my God. You, again, beautifully written scene of going to see the family of the first victim. Right. And ta and like trying to find out who the father was and his wonderful sequence of profiling the daughter. That's just so fantastically written. And it's like talking about how people get hardened into their racist and anti-racist beliefs and stop seeing each. And it's like how they can't see past this culture of racism in the UK where she's like, she doesn't want to, like, because she was born in the UK. She's as British as anybody else. But because she's, as they say, black, because in the UK they use black to mean anything not white. They use the exact same word to use uh, for Indian and Pakistani people as they do for people from Africa or the Caribbean, which is yeah. kind of interesting. But there you go. And I mean, it gets down to the uh, the core of what the word black means, which is a way to exclude people from whiteness, which is whiteness is the people in charge. Yes. Yeah. So I find that kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, the whole and the whole profiling, you know, he, it, it, it's again, it's always brutal. You know, yeah. he explains how she will only now um, date Pakistanis, but she started off dating white people, but then they weren't interested in her as a person. They just were as in her being date in the same way were. that they wanted to not racist. She wanted to date a white guy to not be part of her culture. And they wanted to date a black lady to be part of the culture. It's like, no, you can't escape these divisions that easily. No. Right? And it, I mean, and there's lots of stuff in, in the States, not oh, done God, as yeah. As this tiny little segment of just laying it all out, what the yeah. issue is. Yeah, and him just like, and that's I think that's what makes this scene, this sequence so powerful. Is like, yeah, he just puts it right, all right in front of you. Right? Yeah, there's no there there's no hesitation. There's nothing. It's like no. Here's all of it. Here's every part how, of it. That's how he gets her to start talking truthfully about her father. Yeah, being one of these sort of exact. Unbelievably he, exact yeah, so men. He's never, his till is never out, not even a penny. Yep. Right? And, you know, so, yes, and, because he was this person, he set <laughs> unknowingly and... Well, I mean, he set this in motion because what he said is, and what he always believed is, because he had been a victim of racism for so long, is white people will always try to cheat you. Yeah. And, and you're like, oh my God, everything that, like, everything that Christopher, uh, I must say Christopher Eccleston, that, oh my God, Robert Carlyle is saying, that Albie is saying, is exactly what the guy thought of him as a customer. Because yeah. of his so many bad experiences, he was assuming this guy was trying to cheat him. Yes. Because, and again, it's these assumptions people make as each, uh, about each other as they stop seeing each other as people and start just letting their assumptions about groups define them. Yeah, it, it is. It's, as I said, there's a lot that one There's a lot in this episode. <laughs> yeah, and it is, wow. Yeah. And so, 
and laid out so clearly. Yeah. This is what I like, I guess, about Crocker is everything is laid out so clearly. Oh, the fact that he just comes out and says all of these things. Yes. And it doesn't feel it doesn't feel thuddingly obvious. It feels earned in these scenes. Yeah. Oh yeah, it, it and was. That's it, what it, makes it so incredible and so different than everything else. Like so many other shows, if they just had the characters say what's going on, be like, "Well, that's a little preachy." And it's like, no, this is this is earned. Yeah, I don't. You've earned and, this. And that is the acting is. Yeah. Superb. I don't know whether there's nothing they have like it. See with the directors as well. Yeah, I'd be interested to see if like the same people directed all of the episodes or what. Yeah, that'd be an what interesting thing to check. So, because that is more likely. Now things move a little more quickly because uh, Fitz looks over and finds out that the till did in fact balance that day, except they had to look for the uh, four the four pence. pence on the store, and he and finds the, out that the this thing that got rung through was the two pounds four pence, and he's like, "Okay, I'm starting to see what happened here. I think there was a fight over this, and someone just it was the last straw, and they exploded, which is exactly what happened." Yep. And nobody, of course, is going to listen to him. Of course. Of course. course. This can't possibly be this. Meanwhile, the reporter gets a call from someone offering her a story, which is a a child molestation story involving a labor MP. And he's like, well, she works for the Sun, so this is the exact kind of thing that would get her involved. And so she arranges to meet him. Uh, She had already... Oh, and the reason you were remembering um, him having the confrontation with her before the th- uh, the profiler is because yeah. he gets into the elevator with her at the car park. Oh, that's right. And plans yeah. to stab her, but then like a bunch of people get on the elevator and he doesn't have a chance to. So they have like this really quick interaction. And remember, by this point, Rupert Murdoch owns the Sun. Oh yeah, of course. No, no, it's it's the worst newspaper in the world. I mean, every <laughs> like he is right to find it loathsome. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so it. Ha- so he goes and he lures her to a car park and he talks his way into his car by, you know, being willing to walk away without giving her the story that she needs. And then he puts a knife to her throat and makes her drive. And she, you know, puts on her seatbelt and drives recklessly and manages to get away from him, which is nice. And now, uh, like literally, cause she runs up, there's other people in the street. She almost hits another car and he's just got a knife. He doesn't know what to do. So he just runs off. And now, like, three different people have gotten a really good look at his face. Yep. So they've got a hell of a lead. So they get the sketch done and they start put out a call to say, all right, he has to live, you know, somewhere nearby here, or at least on the route leading up to it. We need to find... And this is where they listen to Fitz. They're like, okay... He's doing this elaborate thing. He's clearly not one of these skinheads. So it's going to be someone like Fitz says who recently shaved their head. So they put out a call to anyone who has shaved their head recently. Mm-hmm. And we see them going out and doing the canvas. Uh, but before we get to the canvas results. So how ridiculously awful at this is Fitz. He comes home to find that there's a giant party in swing. Yes. And he essentially wants to yell at his wife for there being people all over his house. Uh, you know, but he wants to be, but he's of course wry and sarcastic. And it's like, why didn't I know this about this? Right. And he said, she says, it's your son's it's birthday. It's your son's birthday. <laughs> oh, 
And then oh he looks at him and says, and you lost all the money, didn't you? Yep. Do you want me so to give you some you money? Yes. Do you Shall want I me give to, you some money? To give to your yeah. son for his birthday. That would be nice. Oh, my God. And then he has a heart attack. Well, she yeah, she she leaves with the daughter. Yep, she, she leaves with the daughter. daughter. I'm going out to blah, blah, blah. With, and with, you're not invited. And you're not invited. And he's so stuck he, there, surrounded by his son's friends, unable to in any way communicate with this son that he has, you know, just forgotten the birthday of. And yeah. he drinks and he freaks out. And then he has a heart attack and has to be rushed to the hospital. And then we get yet another one of these classic uh, scenes where we see the doctors with him. And it's like, how much do you drink? Uh, how much do you drink? Five or six uh, uh, whiskey, five or six whiskeys a week, drinks, bottles and smoking, uh, 40 or 60. Please say a week. <laughs> Oh my god. And but miraculously, this is the key. Uh what is it? What is it that he says? Uh I've been meaning it's like uh give me it straight, doctor. You know, I've been uh I've just started reading War and Peace. Let me know if I should keep going. And the oh, doctor says, Am I about to wrong. die? And that's the key part. And this is how much of a mess he is. There's nothing wrong with him. No, it's There's nothing just wrong a with him. massive panic attack. Yeah, he just had a panic attack because he is so completely screwing up his life. Like, he is so utterly screwing up his family life that his body, you know, made him shut down. And he, of course, is not great at coping with this. Nope. No. All right, so they go looking. Right. They go looking to do the, uh, they do go do the canvas to try and find new people who have recently shaved their heads. And Beck manages to find somebody. And who he finds is Albie. He finds the killer. Yeah. The killer isn't home. No. At this point. But no. he does find. Identify this guy who lives across the street from this woman who just recently shaved his head on the day of the murders, in fact. But, I mean, she doesn't know that. She just knows that he's been bald recently. Right? But it's not like she's paying close attention to when that happened. Because if if she had been able to say it was on the day of the murder, I'm sure they would have come back with, you know, in force. But she does not have that information. So, he goes back. And uh, he does go back to see him. And we get another masterpiece of a scene because we're like, is he going to stab Beck? Yeah, well, that's exactly what you're thinking because you know, because we haven't talked about after he killed the first one, he lit a match and stuck it in his cribbage board. And then he filled the cribbage board up with 90... 95 more matches or 96 One for or 95 e- more matches no, but 95 because it's the 96 people who died at uh the hillsborough disaster yeah yes, and yes, so I- so he's got uh oh god and so we're like is is he gonna kill this guy and we see beck like take one of the matches off of it yes next to the two burned ones and again beck is so bad at his job 
so unbelievably bad at his job that he doesn't even notice that there are photographs of the two victims just pasted to the wall. Yeah. He is so unobservant that he doesn't notice that there is like uh, the the picture he stole from the guy's workplace and the photograph of the photocopy he made of the uh, the psychiatrist uh, sorry the psychologist faced in the psychologist's office just sitting there he yeah. could have the killer right there and but he interrogates him about his shaved head and so Alby says I've got cancer and he's able to pull out a document right from yeah. the right he's able to pull out a document which is a letter about cancer treatment from the hospital because his dad has the same name and just died of cancer yep oh and so he between that and the fact that he's got a box of kittens that his uh, his cat just gave birth to a box of kittens that he's taken care of uh beck's like okay i'll just let you go yep and walks out yeah oh uh is this but where fits in we his... already the yeah. funny thing is is that we fully expect this from beck yeah we do Yes, he's lazy. He's incompetent. He's incompetent. He couldn't care less. And they all cover up for him. Yeah. And they always have. Yep. And, uh, oh my God. Is is this where he finally, now that he's back working and the case is going well and all that, he finally gets, you know, like he and his wife managed to figure out what their connection is. And we get this hilarious scene. The, the thing that finally drives them towards having sex is them having a fight about her job. <laughs> and it's like, because they're talking about, you know, how it used to be. Mm -hmm. And he starts trying to provoke her about her job. And the fact that it's like, because she works at a charity. Yeah. And he has this, this absurd idea, this worldview that I've heard before in plenty of places, this unbelievably stupid worldview that it's not real charity because you just do, you just go and you help people, right? <laughs> to feel good about yourself. And so people will know you're a good person. So it's not real charity. And her point of view is, I think the correct one, a person who didn't have a sandwich now has a sandwich. Who cares why I did it? And as she says... At the for something like this, especially, what does the motive matter? What does it matter why I did a good thing? I did a good thing. And you're like, okay, this is the kind of like electric chemistry they used to have when they were younger. <laughs> like, you really get it. Like, this conflict made them love each other. But spoiler alert, it was not a long-term kind of thing. Yeah, it was not enough to keep it keep it going. going years and it's like and you see in this scene of them together how like they had such fire that she's been willing to put up with him for so long and his self-destructiveness and his misery because of how passionate they were and how much they cared about each other and she's like kept trying to get that back and it's this scene that makes her like realize that that's never going to happen like he she's never going to get that version of him back and this relationship back and it's very sad and he also has a great scene with Penhaligon where he explains why he didn't go which is I was fine having an affair with you but it became clear to me that I was if I went away I was going to fall in love with you and I just I am not in a place where I can do that because I need my you know 
family to work out. My life is a mess right now. Exactly. It I'm not in a position. Say that to her. Yeah, he does. He's actually, I think, honest with her. Yeah, bizarrely. Bizarrely. That he's like, he could not get emotionally overcommitted to her or it would be disastrous for both of them. And yeah. I'm like, okay, there you go. Because she tries to pull the, I'm fine. I had a great time there without you nonsense. Yeah. I hooked up with a waiter. It's fine. And of course, you know, whether or not that's true, it's obviously not fine. Yes. She is obviously extremely upset with him. And it's, again, another beautifully well-played scene. Yeah. All of these tiny little scenes that do that work and you yeah. believe them. You can and see her sometimes with with these different scenes, you can actually see yourself. Yeah. In these these sorts of scenes, right, on relationships mm -hmm. and stuff, and whether you want to believe it or not, uh, whether Penn Halligan wants to believe him or not is immaterial. Mm -hmm. You know, he's doing this, and yes, maybe he is sincere, maybe he's not sincere, maybe we don't know, because how would you, as we've now watched him through three, four, five, six, seven, this is number eight or nine, we're now probably on number nine episodes, and this is not a man you could trust. Yeah. With anything. Yeah, this is episode, well, there was uh, eight, no, no, because it was uh, seven episodes in the first season. So, yeah, this is episode nine. Uh, yeah, because it was two, three, two in the first season. And this one is three, and I haven't checked the rest. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so we now, we get very close. Uh, but the point is, we see this unbelievably frustrating scene. And it's like, I know what's going to happen, but it's so brutal to watch the second time uh, because we see that Robert Carlyle is you know, like wondering, well, who should I kill next? What should be my next target? Since I screwed up trying to get the, Woman. since I screwed up trying to get the reporter, I'm not going to be able to get close to her again because, you know, we get this horrific scene with her that's worth mentioning. And it's like, Oh, wow, he really hates the media, too. It's not just the cops this writer hates. We see the scene where they're interrogating her, right? And trying to find out anything he said, any clues they could use. And she's on the phone, because it turns out, as we said to her, he called oh, her a sun writer. He called her a sun writer, and she's like, yeah. no, I'm a freelancer. Yeah, I write for the sun, but I write for everyone. And so we see her on the phone with all of the different right-wing tabloids. Yep. Right? Yeah. <laughs> trying to get the best deal for her exclusive story of being, you know, almost murdered by a serial killer. Yeah. And then the, <laughs> and then Penn Halleck is not a serial killer. He, he hasn't killed enough five for that. <laughs> I know. And he's only killed two people so And she's much. like, and I know she doesn't say it, but it's just like, I write for the sun. You think I care about that? Getting the payday up to 65,000 pounds for the exclusive rights to her story. Yeah. Oh, my God. And, and as she says, it's not a bidding war. As she, as she keeps saying to both of the guys, it's not a bidding war. I've just promised them to tell them what you've offered. I'm like, what do you think a bidding war is? <laughs> Gaslighting these guys. It's so, yeah. such a beautiful scene. But it's like, yeah, in case you're wondering, are we supposed to have sympathy for this woman? The answer is no. We are not no, supposed meant not. to have sympathy I for this woman. I swear there is nobody in this except Episode. maybe, well, maybe his, um, Robert Carlyle's wife. Yeah. Oh, God. And daughter. Well, we're about to get to her big scene. Yeah. Oh, 
which is um all right so next uh we see beck and penhaligon going over the list of um people who have been reporters recently shaving their head and she's like what about this alby and uh and beck's like i checked uh he's he's got cancer it's probably not him and she's like did you check that he had cancer <laughs> did you like or is that just something he said and Beck's like, of course, you know, he had a letter and everything. The guy's got a box of kittens. How could he be the killer? Yeah. Is his justification. And she's like, no, it's your job to check. The <sighs> you know, the age. Yeah. Everything. You're supposed to check this everything. You're told. This guy yeah. fits because he's on the bus route. He's mm -hmm. on. He lives He's on in the, the area. The whole thing. Yeah, right? he could he could easily be the guy, but it's like you know, be having cancer and having kittens, you know, it does not preclude you from being a murderer, even if he did really have cancer, which again he doesn't. No, which we <sighs> find out later on. Yeah, and then we get this absolutely horrific scene where. Bainborough, that's his name. Finally. I don't know why I get it halfway into every episode. Wait, you're going Bainborough. Bainborough. Okay, there we go. You write it down and stick it on a sticky note on your computer. <laughs> I know. Well, um, spoiler alert, I don't have to. Uh, hmm. Because he and his wife are out shopping. Yes. And the minute he steps away from his wife in the cart, uh, Albie walks up and gropes his wife and stays with her long enough to ensure that Bainborough sees him and then yep. flees out of the store, sure that he will be chased. And he leads him all the way back to his house and he stabs him in the stomach. And then he packs up his uh, kittens and he makes a little speech and he leaves. And then we get, what, the hardest five minutes of television to watch you've ever seen? Of him... Because he's he hasn't like the first two guys died right away because they got stabbed in the heart. He only got stabbed in the stomach. And he's got his radio on him. But the problem is he chased this guy down three sets of alleys and he has no idea where he is. Yep. Because he doesn't know who Albie is. Oh. And you see this scene of Baneboro knowing he's gonna die. And he's still oh. going to keep telling him to just, not you move. know, don't move. Don't, because he's Hold every time he it. moves, it starts bleeding worse. And they're like, just don't move, let us find you. And he's like, if I can't get outside, I can't tell you where I am. It's my only chance. And so they keep asking him to describe the place. And there's like, it's a guy, you know, uh, it's a guy. He was bald. He had the army jacket on. And then you see the look on Beck's face where it's like, oh my God. And he says to him, did he have a cat? Are there kittens there? And yeah, Bainborough says yes. And so they're like, oh my God, it was him. It was Albie. And so they are, get in the car and they're rushing over there. And Call the ambulance. Calling the ambulance there, but they're closer and they get there first. But we know and it wasn't going to help because by the time they get there, and oh my God, when Bainborough is to his last breath literally saying... I know what, you know, the, I am not panicking. I am of, I am of sound mind. 
I know what the defense attorney is going to uh, try to do. This is a dying man's last statement. Yeah. Oh my God, about who stabbed me. I'm like, Jesus Christ, this scene. And they get there and he is already dead. Yep. Oh, this scene. And we, and, and we, we, and, and also Bainborough knows what the plan is because yeah. Robert Carla Albi has told him yeah. that he said, well, he said, I want to kill, I'm going to kill all of these, these people. I want to yeah. kill. And, and I just thought you're a cop. I'm going to kill cops. And yeah. might I as well start at the top. The top. <laughs> Jesus. And he had seen, of course, Bainborough on on the, the telly. TV. Yeah, yeah. Being so, in charge of the investigation—that's how yeah. he got onto him. Yeah. Oh, and then, so he's died, and then we get. If you didn't already hate Beck, oh. we get this scene. So, Penhaligon, I think, quite understandably, falls to you know her knees, weeping. And Beck goes to hold her, and he's close to crying himself. But what does he do? He just says to her over and over again, please don't tell anyone. He begs her not to reveal that he found and let the killer go, and that's why their boss is now dead. Ooh. That was a rough and one. Well, no, I mean, it is typical of Beck. Oh, no, it's completely Beck, typical of Beck. It's who he is. It's what a, He's terrible at his job. He's monstrously it, sexist, and he won't take responsibility for his own failures. And Ken Halligan yeah. is probably going to let him get away with it. Yeah. Well, we'll find out next week, because I don't remember what happens next vis-a-vis -vis oh, this story. Oh, I don't story. know. I don't know. But she sure as hell doesn't tell on him this week. Nope. So they go and they see Albie's wife and we hear the whole story about him being there for the Hillsborough, you know, disaster. Yeah. Now, what right. we haven't, what, what we didn't discuss was that he took his daughter home one day. Yeah. And, and the, the wife is very upset mm -hmm. about his, his, the fact that he shaved his head and she doesn't even recognize him. You know, like the daughter didn't recognize him. And um, he yeah, says, yeah. oh, he had a bet with somebody that. Over a, the know, team if, losing. Or, yeah. And they lost. And so he had to shave his shave head. Shave his head. And, but then he admits that it makes him look like he feels. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he gives her the money that is his allot oh, yeah, he, allocated money. And, yeah. and that, then that scene ends. So now we get to the police and they get to the wife and she immediately lies and says she hasn't seen him in, you know, a couple lies. of years. Yeah. Yeah. Just like immediate lies where it's like, everybody knows he takes his daughter home from school on Fridays. So, yeah. you know, it's like, it's not going to work, but her instinct is to cover for her husband and they get her to talk by in this tour, another torturous scene playing you know Bainborough's last will and testament yep and by the way oh before we get there though I, I should mention I really should mention the notification scene of Bainborough's wife which is oh my god you think this show can't hammer you any harder yeah so the head of the the chief of police Pulls himself goes there. The back. Yeah. 
and and uh, Pen Allegan sits in the front beside her. Yeah. And was he hurt? And this man was groping me, and mm -hmm. you know, Bingborough, you know, ran after you know, chased after, after him, and yeah. Is and he as hurt? Fitz says, like, and so she Fitz blames herself. Fair. Oh no, not yet. But that's the later no. scene where she blames herself, and Fitz just tells her that you know. Uh, he used the fact that he knew you loved each other against you. And it's like, oh, yeah, such he a did beautiful... this on purpose. He yeah. did, it had nothing to do with you. But it's key that when Fitz, I wanted to mention just briefly, because it's not key to the episode, but when Fitz goes to see her. Yeah. And that's where we find out that Bainborough was haunted by what happened with Cassidy. And, and so therefore, she... he yeah. says, well, I was wrong. I mean, this and is the only He lies and says, thing. I was wrong. Yeah. yeah. The only decent thing he does in this entire episode yeah as he lies and says you know cassidy was guilty oh my god yeah. this episode but yeah and so the wife talks about how albie completely changed after mm -hmm. hillsborough because he you know did not see any reason to go on living well, like, it's, it's his, so his thing had been taken away from him and and fitz fit like fitz is very good at talking to her he said so your marriage ended the day Hillsborough. Yeah. Because for you, it yes. wasn't this tragedy and how that horrible, like the horrible well, thing that he, he could not know. She didn't. Well, yeah. That's know. what I'm saying. Like she could, he could never forgive her because she was out with her friends. She didn't go to the game like he did. She was out with her friends that day. Right. And he went and to the game with his father, with his father. And they were does. in the crush, which they always did their entire lives. They yeah. were, you know, they were Liverpool supporters. They were always there. And he right? starts screaming about those stupid, um, the 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 fences that these police yeah. that they oh put up, God. and the police, and he starts screaming about it. Uh, now, and but I just love the idea that she was out, and it's not like there were mobile phones. She just didn't know it had happened, and he could never forgive her for that. Yeah. Oh, such a thing, such an episode. Plus, but the key. Yeah, go on. But the key thing is, he had never, um, they had, he had never been able to go to the games again. He wanted to go again, but the father wouldn't. Yeah, because the father just turned into, he, he, he his father couldn't cope. And it was his father, it destroyed his father's life as well. Yeah, it completely destroyed his father as well. And it destroyed him. And he couldn't even go to the games every Sunday anymore because his father wouldn't go and he wouldn't go without his father. Yeah. And so there was nothing left in his life. And as he says, he, he, she said he confessed to cheating on me because nothing mattered anymore. Yeah. Like there's, and it's like, Oh, so this guy has been sinking into a deeper and deeper depression for five years. Yeah. And his father has not been helping when we, we'll get to that bit in a second. So we see Albie and Fitz is like, well, at least now we know how to catch him. They're like, what? And I was like, he'll go to the game. Yeah, he's going to go to the game. He's going to go to the game. Obviously, he's going to go to the game. Uh, and meanwhile, but first we see Albie break into a uh, break into a construction warehouse. There's a construction site and there's this shed on it. And of course, we quickly learn it's the explosive shed and a guy sees him. So he stabs the guy to death. Yeah, and it, crucially, every other time he's killed, somebody's just left their body there. 
This time, he wraps up the body and drags it and buries it in his father's garden. Yeah, I mean, it is very interesting. I think it's the quarry where he used to work when he worked. It is, yeah. Yeah, it is the quarry. You're right. It's the quarry he used to work at. And that's why he knows there's going to be explosives there, because he used to work at a quarry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So he he buries the guy in his father's allotment plot. Yep. And then we don't see... We also see that he's he's dragged built. not just the body but explosives with him. Yep, we and we see him building doing. a bomb, and we yeah. see him taking some mail, and we see yep. him mailing the bomb. Yep. Whew. And oh my god, this this next bit. All right, so they they go to the game, they go to the yep. game, and uh, they, which is apparently um, what do you, uh. Are they in Manchester? <laughs> like, I have are no the characters in Manchester? Because they talk about how like Liverpool is playing in Man- uh, Manchester today, and the interesting part is he gets into some trouble because uh, he bought, as they say, he bought the ticket locally. So I guess in the Manchester stadium, they're looking at the Liverpool end with the Liverpool supporters, and they're like. Yeah. But they all would have bought their tickets earlier. He would have just bought it today and he would only be able to get stuff in the Manchester end. So you're looking in the wrong half of the stadium. And you get this great scene where Beck is trying to help. Right? But look for him. But he can't admit that he knows what the guy looks like. Yeah. Because then he would admit. So he's just he just keeps saying, I'll know him when I see him. And his boss just tells him to go off. But this ends up being serendipitous. Because putting a uh, a Liverpool supporter at the Manchester end leads immediately to some conflict. And he gets dragged out. He gets dragged out by security and walks right past Beck. And he yeah. sees Beck and he knows right away who Beck is. But Beck doesn't know who he is immediately. Uh, but we get, but finally he, he Beck... He agrees to leave quietly. He agrees to leave quietly because he's terrified that Beck is going to see him, realize who it was, and if he's being held in place by guards, he won't be able to make a getaway. And so, you know, a little clever move, suddenly, you know, uh, getting over his anger. Uh, but Beck recognizes him, and we have a foot chase, and he pulls his knife, and he is going to... I mean, he would have killed Beck if he had the chance... But Beck smashes a bottle because they're in an alley. He manages to find a discarded bottle and he smashes it over (laughs) Albie's head. Albie falls to the ground, but that's not the end of it. Uh, Beck viciously kicks him. Like just brutally (laughs) kicks him. Might have killed him. Like he's actually, you get that look on his face for a moment of like, did I just kill this man? Yeah. Well, in fact, I would say I thought wondered whether or not he'd actually killed him. For a moment, yeah. Because he is out. He's completely out. Yeah, he is he is out. Yeah. Oh. And, and then, then we to... then we finally get what we've been waiting for this whole time. Uh Beck. Yeah. I mean Al Albie and Albie and Fitz. And Fitz. And but before that, um the the aftermath of him sleeping his with his wife again and his wife realizing that this isn't going to work is she's moved out. Yeah. He come, he comes home and the place is empty. And it is not. And it is, by the way, it's not just a, I took some things and went to my parents situation. No, She has taken all of her clothes and she has taken the pictures off the walls. Yeah. Like she is out. Yep. And we'll see how that plays out the rest of the season. (laughs) 
Oh my God. But yeah, so we finally get, but before we get the scene with Albie, we see the new, uh, the chief of police going to see Albie who is lying naked in his cell, demanding yeah. that his brutal injuries be photographed before he puts his clothes back on. <laughs> Cause he's like, I know my rights. And the cops are like, no, you don't have any rights. We're not doing that. <laughs> Grow up. Cause the cops are terrible. And it's well, the thing, it's, well, but it's the same thing. Like, think about how much better this all would have gone if people hadn't been covering for Beck this entire time. Yep. Because once again, he's covering for Beck. It's so infuriating. Yeah. Well, the the other thing is, is that the the one, okay, um, it's that, but the new guy, yeah, the new guy. Um, doesn't no cover for Beck. No, he doesn't. Such. I no. mean, he just is infuriated with Beck's behavior mm -hmm. and tells him enough. And he says he's going to send him on community relate because he doesn't know the worst of it yet. Well, no, Nobody but he knows. does cover for Beck. I mean, he sends it. He does. He but oh, he yeah, covers for Beck in that okay. he doesn't. He but he's not going to keep Beck around. You know, no. as he says, you're going to be, I'm sending you on a, like a community learning program. And then once you've done that one, I'm going to send you on another one. And all you're going to be doing is programs for the foreseeable. You are not a police officer anymore, but obviously I can't do, but he can't like just prosecute him or fire him because then they'd have to admit the cops did something wrong. Yeah. So he has to do the equivalent of teachers in their rubber room. Right, where he just like hides him away in classrooms to get rid of yeah. the embarrassment. But that's still covering for him. That's the key. That's still a kind it's of true. covering it's for true. him. It's true. I wonder what's gonna happen. Well, I'm we'll very see. intrigued to see where this goes. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm very interested to see where this goes. All right. So we get the scene with Fitz, and it's everything you want it to be. Yeah. It's so good. This scene is so incredible. Because, I mean, you've got two actors as close to the top of their game as actors can be. Because, like, Robert Carlyle, it doesn't get talked about enough, is one of the greats. Yep. Like, he never broke into America. Like, he was Rumpelstiltskin on the show Once Upon a Time. <laughs> but, like, yeah. he's a man who never broke into America. Like, America never found out about Robert Carlyle. Until he became... No, I'm, I'm just... No, because... Not even because it was so wonderful when he was um, who Hamish Hamish Macbeth, yeah, but you yeah, know, Scottish you know, show so on BBC. If you, if you watch PBS, you know who Hamish Macbeth. That's how is we knew who he was. That. You know, that's how we knew who he was, and it's like, and he's the star of, I would argue, one of the best movies ever made, Ravenous. Which, you know, I might talk you into covering after we're done Cracker. Just like one week we're going to watch Ravenous. And you're finally going to see Ravenous. And you're going to be like, oh, I can't believe it took me this long to watch the best movie ever made about America. <laughs> okay. It's I will. Like, now, well, if I'm ever doing a course on Frontier Times, now I've got, you know, most of the curriculum can just be the movie Ravenous. And it sounds like I'm overselling this. But when we watch it, you'll see. All right. Uh, okay. And what I love about this scene is how cold Fitz is. Yeah. 
he can't offer empathy. He just no, can't, he can't do it because he liked Bilboro. He yeah. cared about that man, that man. And it's like, yeah, they disagreed about Cassidy, but he did care about him. And he saw, and as he says, it's like, I am too distracted by, you know, the weeping of victims. Yeah. To to hear this. And just like him going over. And the, the horrifying thing is, he knows everything about this guy. Right away, he knows everything about this guy. But that didn't help them catch him before he did something horrible. Yep. Oh. And then we find out the word. Okay. Like well, and, and, just the, the, and the speech. Yeah, but it's it's Robert Carlyle's speech that is so powerful. He said, "This I am the future." Yeah, where he gives this whole speech. Doing this. He said that nobody cares about us. Yeah, we are working. The Labour Party doesn't care about us. All they care about are things that are going to get them. Brownie Lots points and publicity. Brownie points in public, right? Mm -hmm. And they don't care about us and we will get fed up. Yeah, we are going to get angrier. I'm the future. Like, I'm what the future yeah. looks like. And and, not, uh, and what, 20 years later, we got Brexit. Yep. Robert Carlyle's character was right. Oh, the yeah. Poor, I, like, I mean, the economic, because the story is, the economic situation gets worse and worse and worse. And yeah. the Tories make it worse. And the labor doesn't help, you know, because they refuse to stand up to capital. And the money just gets worse and worse. And these guys get angrier and angrier. And you end up with Brexit. Yeah, because we even have, of course, remember that we have, when is John, this is all the period eventually when john john major is yeah major and and that's of course neoliberalism yep. and that's when selling out the country and, yeah selling out the friggin country to the americans yeah but you know and i was working i can still remember all of that stuff happening right oh yeah and you just and it and yeah it was bad in england it I, was well because like uh, maggie thatcher destroyed society because that was her plan, was to destroy society. And then John Major came in and Bill Clinton style said, oh, well, we're just going to do it in a in a friendly way with a smile. But it's still all these yeah. toxic policies that destroy the social safety net and yep. reduce social cohesion. Yep. You know, like it's like she tried to destroy England and guess what? She succeeded and she turned it over to the bankers, yeah. which had been her plan all along. So bravo. <laughs> I mean, she just didn't live to see the complete destruction she wanted. Yeah, you're being really, 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 really cruel to the worst prime minister England ever had. Yeah, I am. She was their Reagan in everything that means in the one that like in the sense that they came in to destroy the country and turn it all over to money. That's what yeah, Reagan did. She's, the only thing that she did do. Right was end apartheid. No, yeah. I'm not saying she didn't have ulterior motives. No, of course. But she did end apartheid. Well, she the rest she did. of the country, she 100 did. Uh, but we can talk about South Africa. Yeah, but I mean, it's not like the boycott was friggin' led by the Tories. No, 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 you no. Know? I didn't say that. It's like no, no, I didn't say that. But I would but argue that the reason she ended apartheid was because it was financially non-viable to keep apartheid going because of the boycotts. Yeah. 
she was still just doing it for the markets. I I'm I'm not All disagreeing right. with you. It's just no. Like, you're right. You're right. She did. You have to. You have to. I mean, it is the bizarre part. As, as for someone who it literally just made a whole speech about it doesn't matter why you did a good thing. What matters is the yeah. good thing got done. You're right. I can't criticize her for ending apartheid. It's for, good no. that she ended apartheid. You're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, and it, you know, and I, it's, as I say, it's like Nixon set up the EPA. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he wasn't, he's not responsible for the destruction that it has caused afterwards under Reagan and the rest of yeah. it and getting its teeth pulled out. Yeah, uh, he but he, he did up. a good thing. And, You're absolutely right. And Brian Mulroney was probably our most um, environmental, environmentally friendly prime, prime minister. minister. Even while he absolutely destroyed our economy. You know, he's so thrilled to be part of, you know, and the Senate. And, well, <sighs> we, we don't want we're to. Not getting, okay, we're not going to get into Canadian politics now. Yeah, but the point yeah, is, yeah. it is. A, a wrenching scene, but it's like the closest you like get to getting inside of Albie's head is that wonderful thing yeah. where it's like, he looked after his father for five years as he got sicker and sicker. And it's like, and as he said, you can't talk about his illness cause that's too real. And you can't talk about football because he won't talk about football anymore. So what yeah. do you talk about? And yeah. then he's like, nothing. We talked about nothing. And you realize Oh my God, like this guy, you understand how there was, there was nothing, there was no one to talk to. There was no help for him. There was nothing for him to do. There was nothing for him to get. He was just got turned into this ball of rage that got worse and worse and worse until it exploded. And it doesn't really make you feel sympathy for him, but no. at least you understand the horror of how it happened. Yeah. And there's, there's his wife, you yeah. know, who... Oh. You know, I mean, it's yeah. who didn't yeah. know how to help. Who didn't? Well, there was ultimately. Well, no there might have been, like, there might have been therapy. You know, <laughs> like there might have been a way uh, to yeah, intervene for this was, guy, but he I mean, wouldn't have gone. Kind of rage. No, this kind he of rage. Right. No, any more than Fitz. Yeah. I mean, that's that's where you're always seeing these parallels oh, with yeah. these guys that they end up down this road, just like Fitz, because they don't stop themselves or they uh, don't help right yeah or you know i mean anyway i don't and i mean we, we, and just for the record do i think albie was abused by his father of course he was of course he was of course he was no no it's like there's no way this guy there's no way this guy when, has some kind of a fixation on his dad the way albie does without yeah. him being physically abused his entire childhood Oh, sure. Because just, and that's why his, yeah. let me finish. Please. That's why his wife doesn't like his father. Yeah. He no, she, knows she knows what a horrible man. And she tries to tell him that it was a good thing that he did taking care of his father. That's what she tells the cops. Mm -hmm. I can't believe he's this man. Yeah. She can't believe, she said he wouldn't hurt a fly. Mm -hmm. Except that finally the rage just built up. Yeah. And his law and his father, like this abusive father he had, you know, being around him, it always kept it in check, even while it made it worse. And now because it all just exploded out. Yeah. Because they had football. Because they had football. Jesus. And once they didn't have football, <sighs> yeah. all he was doing was stuck with his abuser in a tiny house. Yeah. 
taking care of him as he got sicker and sicker. And again, this is not to make you feel sympathy for Albie. We don't want people feeling sympathy for Albie. Because as we find out, you know, Fitz is talking about the, then the three people he killed, he said, no, four. Four. Yeah. And so he tells them about the, the, he finally tells them after he's been willing to make his speeches, tells them about the fourth, about the guy stabbed and buried. And so they go out to the garden and they find the bomb making materials. And they're like, oh, hell, where did you send the bomb? And so they go to evacuate the building. And this whole time they've cut away to this letter that has been addressed to Beck, who he, of course, remembers from when Beck showed up at his place. And, yes, and remember, they, they, they do send they do send police out. Oh, yeah. To to dig up the body. Oh, of course. And that's when they find the bombs out in the shed because it's all no, in no, the garden. No, no, no. The shed blows up. Oh, you're right. The shed blows up afterwards. No, yes. no, 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 no. This you're right. figures this out that there has to be something wrong with this body thing because Why it would turns do out it? there were no cops there. Yeah. Yeah, it blows up when there's no cops. No, that's there. not how they, they, they you're right. find how they figure it out is Yeah, the shed blows tells up. Tells them about the bomb. Yeah. And then and, he uh and so they search and they find the envelope and Fitz does a beautiful scene of walking into Albie to find out just how far he's gone. He puts the bomb envelope right in front of him. Yep. Oh, and Albie steals himself and he does manage to open it. And Fitz is like, no, we switched them. I just needed to know how far gone you were. Yeah. Oh. There are times when you have to wonder. Um, if he's really suicidal, I know. That scene. Because you that don't know he's switched exactly it. exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Are we doing a Spencer Reed again? <laughs> Is he? But no, no, they they switched it out. It was a fake, but still, oh. Yeah. And, and then, then we get the end. Scene. Then we get the ending. So Fitz is walking away, you know, haunted by Albie's words that Albie is the future, and worried that that is the case. And yeah. he's walking away, and we cut to the uh, reporter. Reporter, you know, working away at her desk, and it turns out there were two bombs. Yep. And the, literally the last moment of the episode is that bomb going off in the newsroom. Jesus, this episode. It did us. It doesn't let up for a second. Nope. Not a second. I see why people call it the best one. It might be the best one I've seen so far. I'm being very interested to watch the rest. Well, it is. The thing is, is that as you say, it's, it's, well, it's, Three hours long, or an hour and thirty-two minutes, or two something. hours and thirty-two minutes. Yeah, it's 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 very long. Yeah, but right, you never feel it. It's just hard to watch. Oh, it's 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 That's brutally intense. But I could not believe how fast this episode goes by. Yeah, given how long it is. Yeah, because there's always something going on and something new, and you're finding new revelations, and there are all these horrible people. Yeah, and the scene where Bilboro is dying and still trying to do his job. I am not exaggerating exaggerating when I say that, like, the five hardest minutes you have to watch yeah. in television. Well, they were, it was oh. hard. And then when that little boy comes by and he says, help. Help, and the kid just runs off scared. Jeez. Yeah, well, and you never know. I mean, he might have gone home to his mom and told Maybe. his mom. Maybe, but he did know, run off. He, yeah. 
Well, yeah. Well, what was the kid going to do? I know. There? Yeah. What's the kid going to do? Yeah. Well, what's the right. kid going to do? He was only about seven years old, right? He's There's a nothing he kid. can do. And but it's still, and, it's horrifying. Yeah. Uh, now he does his last will and testament, you know. So yeah, but no, it it's is, it is horrid. It is. It is horrible, horrible episode, and we don't have to worry about Bill Burra anymore. No, no, we're not going to have to remember that name anymore. But and, wow. and the funny thing is, is that the new guy who's replaced him temporarily, probably yeah. the, but the chief it's perfectly. No, it looks and he might be more because what he says about Fitz, he says, OK, I've checked this out. You get the job done. We get the credit. You get out. Uh, we'll you get you do the job. We'll pay you. We get all the credit. But that's all I want to hear from you. Yeah. But he was just, he's going, yeah. Yeah. All he cares about is getting the, the job done. Um, yeah. Yeah. Is the is the end rate, right? But his the, uh, yeah, it's like, do they get a result? But it, I do like that it's like, I'm not gonna get involved in whatever your nonsense head games are. Yeah. Just show up, do, do the job, job, we'll pay you. Yeah. So yeah, um, I'm very interested to see how this is gonna pay off next week. Yeah. Oh so my because basically. I have forgotten so much of this. Yeah. All right. That's so uh, look forward to next week, everybody. But for now, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, if there's any profiling related fiction you'd like to check out, please, uh, us to check out, please drop us a line at profilingcriminalminds at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you ha are listening to this on some sort of an app or podcatcher, please rate and review it. That's how people find the show. We'll see you back here next week for more Cracker. But until then, I'll say that's right. Au revoir. Have a good weekend. Profiling Criminal Minds is a member of the Kinks Podcasting Network.